Last week, we focused our attention on verse 17 of chapter 1, which, by the way, is actually the first verse of, of Jonah chapter 2 in the Hebrew Scriptures. And we focused on just that issue of the whale, or, well, Jesus called it a whale, and, and of course, a great fish that had taken him in after he had been cast off the ship that he had intended to uh, go to Tarshish in. But now we, we find that after the three days and three nights, if you, if you look carefully there at the end of chapter 1, verse 17, that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that the next word that we're given is the word then, and that point points to the very act of Jonah in prayer. For it says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. It is the Holy Spirit that records for us the fact that Jonah finally prayed unto the Lord. He finally prayed. Why is that detail so important? Well, aside from the very fact that Jonah was a prophet of God who should have been praying all the time, he wasn't praying at the onset of this account. He was running. In fact, he was running from his God. And wanting to run as far as he could. Wanting to go away from the responsibility that was placed upon him as a prophet. To go as he was called by God to the people of Nineveh. Assyrian. Pagan. Cruel. Sinners. And aside from the fact that he may have thought that maybe the Lord would change his mind and get someone else to go, God pursued him. But the detail of him praying here is important because I want you to consider something. Consider there on the deck of that storm-tossed ship that this prophet stood stoically, passive, and Apathetic, as it were, as he watched the pagan sailors call on their false gods while he ignored the captain's warning and scolding to call on Elohim. He decided he wasn't a part of this crew. He was just going to go to the, you know, the bottom of the ship and just wait it out. But there was something else that Jonah knew 
Jonah knew that what was happening out on the sea was because of him. And then Jonah, seemingly calm, pondered and planned a swift death by drowning, knowing what he had done in the face of his God. In fact, knowing that he had run from the face of his God. But now, rather than passively enter into his death, he was swallowed swallowed whole by some dreadful but divinely prepared inhabitant of the deep. A great fish. A whale. You'd have to say that a man would be less than human if, it, if at that moment he didn't pray in a situation like that. Which reminds me of, of an old saying came out of a number of accounts in, in, in world wars. <laughs> the saying is, there are no atheists in foxholes. Now, Jonah wasn't an atheist, but he certainly was acting like one. And how many people in the church today, even, even in the church today, practice a uh, theoretical atheism? They say they believe in God, but they don't act like they believe in God. <clears throat> they don't do the things that God has called them to do. The things, the very things that he has called us to do in his word. But now Jonah, three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. Had come to that time and place in his life. That whatever prophetic word he had ever given to Israel as a prophet in the past and would eventually have to declare to the pagan peoples of Nineveh would now be his to hear and to fear and to reap what he had sown. The message of Amos was now given to Jonah. Amos 4 verse 12. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Well, this was a calling to Jonah. Prepare to meet your maker, Jonah. Prepare to meet him. The residual effect of his rebellious disobedience toward the one true God of all creation would come to Jonah through the lessons of what we reap, what we remember, and what we eventually realize about the consequences of our disobedience as well as our obedience. Let's go back and read again the first three verses of chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah <clears throat> prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Excuse me. Out of the belly of hell, Sheol, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. What we find in these three verses are the, 
or the consequence. We could say the consequences, if you will, but the consequence of what we reap. The consequence of what we reap, simply a consequence is, is a result or effect of an action or a condition. We normally hear of consequences. How many of you are from truth or consequences? Anybody? Nobody? <laughs> How many have been to truth or consequences? That's a better question to ask. We normally hear of consequences and consider them as usually bad, right? I, Oh, you got to face the consequences. Eh, bad. Negative, if you will. I don't like the word negative for a lot of things. But I, I like it for electricity. You know, there's negative and positive and all of that. But we consider it as, as something negative. Now, there are certainly good consequences, right? I mean, rewards for having done something good. Children understand that a little bit. If you clean your room and throw out the trash, you know, every day this week, you know, then you can spend some time with your friends on Saturday, whatever. They do that, then they get to spend some time with their friends on Saturday. That's a good consequence. But the scriptures make it clear of the seriousness of consequences when we sow certain actions in, by, and through our lives. As a farmer sows seed, what, where, are we, where are we sowing seed? Of course, we can go all the way back to Jesus' a parable of the, the seed and the sower, or the, the sower and the seed, I should say. But we also sow certain actions in, by, and through our lives. But to get the full effect of that, just remember this. Remember in Hosea chapter 8. And again, we're dealing with an, a, another minor prophet who was dealing with the northern kingdom of Israel. From where Jonah was and where, where he was from. Israel has cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. Remember, the northern kingdom of Israel was always bad. They always had bad kings. They always had evil kings. They never had one good king. Why? Because the whole nation was based upon idolatry. They have set up kings, but not, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew, I knew it not. Not that God didn't know it but that he didn't have a hand in setting up the royalty or the leadership of, of the northern kingdom. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols that they may be cut off. Thy calf, O Samaria, the golden calf, thy calf hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also the workmen made it, therefore it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. But get verse 7, for they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stock, the bud shall yield no meal, if so be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. You sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And everything that comes, every consequence that comes from the whirlwind that you sow into. And the whirlwind is not a good thing. Paul would exhort the churches in Galatia with these words in Galatians 6 verses 7 through 10. He said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The more we sow to things in the, in the flesh, the more we're really sowing to things in this world. And the world is going to pass away. Time and time again, we see that the world is going to pass away. What remains and what will last forever is God's word, God's kingdom, God's people. David, uh, Paul goes on to say, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due t- season we shall, we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. God called us to sow good, good seed. As, as we have therefore opportunity, let us, do, uh, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. But don't be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what, that's what he is going to reap. So for a while, Jonah was, was allowed to reap what he had sowed. He had probably rejoiced at the thought of God's judgment being poured out on Nineveh. God wants to judge Nineveh. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lord. I'll be your biggest cheerleader. But now he was finding out what it was like to be under God's judgment. You sow to the wind. You reap the whirlwind. General William Booth, who founded the uh, Salvation Army, he found, it, he found it in the worst place in London, England. They called it the East End. He did so in 1865. He had a passion for souls. General Booth used to say that he wished all his soldiers could be hung over the environs of hell for an hour. Just hung over the environs of hell for an hour so that they, having seen the torments of the condemned, might have greater zeal for the salvation of men. If you would have just one hour to see what happens in hell and in the torments of hell, you believe that you would truly turn with greater zeal to taking the gospel to those who need Jesus. What the, what the Lord gave Jonah in those three days and three nights in the belly of that beast, if you will, that whale, that great fish, was a taste of the horrors of hell. We know that because of what he cried out. Out of the belly of hell cried I. How painfully sad it is that many professing Christians today have no conscious fear of what awaits people who will suffer the torments of eternal separation from God in hell. Nor do they show any wonder as to the bountiful treasures reserved for the faithful in heaven. A lot of churches have kind of gone in that route. I mean, they... They kind of talk a little bit about heaven, a little bit about hell. Maybe some, in some cases, like in the emerging church nowadays, because they have certain people that they listen to who write books about saying that they don't really believe that there's a hell. And, and you know, so 
you know, what, what does it matter? God's going to love you and bring you in anyway. They start hearing this stuff and they have no, no burden for the lost. It's more the here and now that concerns them. What you can get here, what you can get now, how you can prosper here, prosper there, prosper everywhere. I don't care what we have here. I thank God for what we have here because he's the one who provides it for us. But Jesus was very clear that our treasures aren't here. Our treasures are already in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust can destroy. Where neither thieves can break in and steal. Morally, Jonah had swung on the pendulum to the other extreme of delighting on judging those worthy of God's wrath. But now Jonah was crying. He was saying, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. By the way, this this lets you know that he didn't begin this prayer at the beginning of of his whale ride. It was at after the three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. But he also knew something. Written maybe many years later or just a few years later, nonetheless. He said, I cried and he heard me. He heard me. Twice he says it. He says, out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. How precious those words. He heard me, and thou hearest my voice. Whatever Jonah's failings, he was a child of God still. And he turned instinctively to the one he had been grieving. We don't like to admit this, but you know, we oftentimes grieve the Lord. Don't ever be the one that says, not me. As long as you're in flesh, at some point in time in your life, you will grieve the Lord. And you'll know it. Why? Because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your heart. You think Jonah was just so, yeah. No, he was under conviction. Because he knew God knew his heart. Yet, in spite of his failings, he was a child of God and he turned to the one that he was hurting, that he was grieving. You know, we are well on the way to recovery and deliverance when we're ready to admit God's righteousness in correcting and disciplining us and when we recognize that we're under God's mighty hand. When we recognize that, we are on the road to deliverance. On the road to recovery, if you will. Now, I don't mean that in a, in a uh, therapeutic sense. I mean that in a spiritual sense. Consider the rest of what he says in this prayer. He says, for thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas. And the floods compassed me about all thy billows 
and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. The waters, the depth, the weeds. Every aspect of the torment, or I should say the tormenting storm that brought him to that place of being swallowed by this fish. Stuck to him. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. You know, a lot of mountains uh, are, are by the sea. And, and uh, you know, we, we look at, at, at uh, ground level and we think, oh, what a beautiful mountain. I mean, you know, it's this, this tall from, from, from ground level up, you know. But, but mountains actually keep going down. And how far down do they go? They go down as far as the sea goes. It's all connected. And he says, I, I, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. That's pretty descriptive. He's talking about a prison. And hell is a prison. From which there's no clemency. No pardon. No release. And then comes the word yet. Yet. Hast thou brought up my life from corruption? O Lord my God. Jonah now makes a statement of impossibility. But praise the Lord that we have a God who does the impossible. Jesus said there's nothing that is impossible for God. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. How can that be? If everything that wears away is corrupt. Even our flesh is corrupt. It's corrupt. Don't let anybody fool you. We live in a world where the second law of thermodynamics is in control. Everything is wearing away. We get older. We get grayer. Sorry about that if you bought Grecian formula. Sorry. You don't put any on for a while and you know you get to see reality there. Brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Take note of the of verse 3. Let's go back to verse 3 for a second. How Jonah stresses the Lord's control over the entire experience. It wasn't the sailors, but rather the, the Lord who had thrown Jonah overboard 
into the stormy sea. It was the Lord. The sailors were merely the agents used by the Lord to discipline his prophets. Much like the Babylonians and the Assyrians, the Egyptians and others. Jonah suddenly found himself being swirled about by by the raging currents and the waves breaking over him. And did you notice that Jonah stated that the turbulent waves breaking over him were God's waves? They were God's waves. They were God's breakers. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. They're yours, Lord. He knew this. He knew what was happening. He knew where it was coming from. They too were simply instruments in the hands of God as he disciplined Jonah because of his horrible sin. And now we find in verses 4 through 6 that Jonah goes from despair to hope. As the psalmist many times did. And by the way, Jonah was a man saturated with the word of God. We know this simply by his prayer. Are the prayers that we pray, are they saturated with the word of God? Jonah, even in the the worst time of his life, could only pray with God's word in mind. For there are many parallels found in his short prayer to Psalms 3, 5, 18, 31, 42, 69, 17. 77, 116, 120. Look them all up, not now. There's a bunch of them. We know from the Gospels that Jesus also turned to the Psalms in his dying hours. And of course, not for the same reasons that Jonah did. But still, happy is the person who has stored up the word of God in his heart. For in the hour of death, he will have a rich treasury to draw from. The hour of death. I bring that up because last week we talked about the very fact that it is very, 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 very possible that Jonah died to fulfill completely the prophecy that Jesus links Jonah to the three days and three nights before the resurrection. Jonah said, I'm cast out of thy sight. That was the prayer of despair. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. That was the bright flash of hope. Yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. Obviously, Jonah had remembered something. He had remembered Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. 1 Kings 8, 38. There Solomon says, What prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all the people of Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart, and spread forth his hands toward this house. Notice what he said. Spread forth his hands toward this house. Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. 
But if they would stretch out their arms, their, 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 their hands toward his holy dwelling place, toward his house. Solomon prayed that the Lord would answer. Jonah didn't know where he was in relation to the temple in Jerusalem while he was inside of the belly of that fish. But perhaps symbolically, perhaps symbolically he stretched out his hand. Doesn't God know our hearts? Does he, you know, it doesn't matter where we know where the temple is. God knows where his temple is. You know what? We're his temple. We're supposed to be, aren't we? Scripture says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And even in his condition, he stretched out his hand toward it and, and had a sudden surge of hope that, that he would yet be able to spread forth his hands literally in the right direction. But in verses 5 and 6, Jonah plunges back into the horror of what and where he was. And he recalls very quickly a rebel in the hands of a righteous and holy God. Some, some would even consider that Jonah thought that God was still an angry God in the sense of anger over his sin. And Jonah gets that foretaste of hell. Verse 5, the waters compassed me about even to the soul. Waters can drown physically. But they can even drown us to the very depth of who we are. And then not only the waters, but the depth itself closed me round about. And he's crying out in such a way to say, I've lost total control. I have no control here. This is what happens when we fall deeply into sin and rebellion against God. And not only the waters and the depth, but the weeds. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I don't know anybody that likes weeds. I don't like weeds. Okay, I'll be honest, I hate weeds. There are a few things in life I hate. I, I hate weeds. But I don't know anybody that likes them. Because they spring up when you don't expect them. And then they double when you really want to do something about it. And before you start doing anything about it, they triple. And then after they triple, then you start pulling them and getting them out of your yard. And and you look back at the yard that you just pulled a thousand weeds. There's a thousand more behind you. There's something about weeds here wrapped about his head. That says again. What happens when you sow to the wind? You reap the whirlwind. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. This was what Jonah reaped, having gloated. Hey, listen, he he gloated and smirkingly rejoiced over the nasty medicine that the Lord had bottled up for those pagans in Nineveh. Now he's forced to take a large dose of that medicine himself. That doesn't sound like fun. 
we have to be careful what we want to put on someone else. The fact of the matter is we've been there. We've been in the muck, in the mire of this of this earth. And not just physically, but really spiritually. We were born in sin. As believers in Jesus Christ, we, we have to have the heart of Jesus in the sense of having that heart of compassion because of where we've been. Have we not been there where we were totally lost and we knew it? And it's coming to that realization. I, I, I think of blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus began the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones who are completely destitute, empty and they know it. If you're empty and you know it, trust the Lord. Because that's all that we have now. This brings us to the understanding that that Jonah experienced a broken heart for what he had done. And what he had not done. For what he had believed. And what he had not believed. His God. The God he served. Lovingly. And painstakingly. Broke his servant. He broke him. And I tell you that's good. Think of the psalmist David in Psalm 34 verse 18. The Lord is nigh, near unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Well, I I hope to come back to this passage at the end, but we're going to do it anyway. It doesn't matter what time it is. We'll come back. I want to come back to there. So keep keep your bookmark there in Psalm 34. But one of the great passages or great verses, if you will, is Psalm 51, verse 17. It's sometimes hard to read, isn't it? But listen to what David said. After having committed great sin with Bathsheba, he said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. A broken and a contrite heart. A heart that is sorrowful because of sin. That will not despise. And so the consequence of what we reap And then comes the consolation of what we remember. Consolation is the comfort. There's comfort here coming to Jonah. Notice verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Oh, I wish more believers in Jesus Christ would remember the Lord. 
I have to look in the mirror and say, hey, don't forget the Lord. Oh, yeah. We have to remember the Lord every day. When my soul fainted within me, he said, I I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. When the prophet had all but given up hope, he turned to the Lord now for help. Now, this theme is repeated several times, of course, in the prayer because, because of this. Listen carefully. The physical impossibility, the physical impossibility of deliverance stood in stark contrast to the fact of divine intervention. How do I get out of this whale? I was about to say, how do I get out of this welly of a belly? Belly of a whale is what I would say. How is this going to happen? But this was a source of constant amazement for Jonah. How amazed are we? When, we, when, we, when our loving Heavenly Father takes us out of those dark places we've oftentimes put ourselves in and then brings us back to the light of His glorious presence. The world, the flesh, and the devil want to suck us up and suck us in. And I mean really wants to do so to destroy us, to destroy our witness, to destroy our testimony, to destroy our countenance. Well, God gave us a countenance that should shine forth the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. But all of that, the enemy wants to destroy. Not that he'll take us into hell where he's going to be, but to make us the most ineffective of professing believers. But praise the Lord for God's word. Praise the Lord for God's love. Praise the Lord for God's mercies. Think about the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 when he says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The only time that we begin to really struggle is when we put a bushel basket over our light. Jesus kind of makes reference about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine before men. You are the light of the world. But don't, push, don't put anything over. There's two things that happen when you put some kind of a basket or cover over a light or a lamp. First thing is you hindered the air from coming in, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the flame needs oxygen. It's, you, you keep it from having the oxygen, it's, gonna, it's just going to go dim. Our testimony goes dim. But another thing is the light doesn't shine. It won't shine through. So as for Jonah's prayer, coming into God's holy temple... Ordinarily, prayer was to be offered in the courts of the temple in Jerusalem. 
But Jonah knew that God's presence is not limited to any earthly temple and that, that the Lord was aware of the needs of his children wherever they are, even if they are in the belly of a whale. But God is never far away. Why is it that, I, you know, sometimes we hear people say, maybe we've said it ourselves, man, I feel so far away from God. Or I feel like God is far away from me. And we forget something. We forget that God is everywhere. Scriptures even tell us, hey, he's, he, he's even in hell. Not that he's there. I mean, he's not there to habitate, but he's there. He cannot not be anywhere because he's omnipresent. So every believer in Jesus Christ who's going through any struggle whatsoever in life and and wondering, you know, where is God? God's there. You just have to cry out to God just like Jonah cried out to God. And know that he hears us. Know that he has heard us. Because he cares. Peter, who we just quoted a little bit, also said what? He said, cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Cast your care upon him. God's not far away. We used to sing a song years ago that said, oh, I forgot what it said. No, I'm just kidding. It said that the Lord was as close as the presence of his name or the, or the mention of his name. God is as close as the mention of his name. You mention his name and he's there. And by the way, if you have tears in your eyes when you meet with the Lord and you call unto him, understand this. We used to sing another song. Tears are a language God understands. Tears are a language that God understands. Psalm 46 verses 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. In verse 3, I'm sure that Jonah was familiar with this verse. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. A very present help in trouble is our God. And the Lord was with Jonah, even in that belly. Of that whale. If we're in the midst of trouble, even trouble that we ourselves put ourselves there in. I know that's bad English, but nonetheless, he's still there to pull us out. He's still there to help us. When we call upon his name, Jeremiah 33 says, call, up, call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Call upon me and I'll answer you. 
But with a, we have the consequence of what we reap, the consolation of what we remember. Remember the Lord. Lastly, the contrast to what we eventually realize. The contrast to what we eventually realize. We see it very clearly here in verses 8 and 9. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Really in verse 8, but I want to carry these two together. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. The contrast of, of observing lying vanities to a sacrifice with thanksgiving and paying a vow and knowing that salvation is only of the Lord. There's no salvation in any other. The Hebrew scriptures tell us that. The apostles continue to strengthen that thought. But there's no salvation in any other but in the name of Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, his name is salvation. God is salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. The lying vanity to which Jonah referred was, was his self-will. His self-will displayed in his refusing the opportunity to be a channel of mercy for Nineveh. Like Solomon, Jonah now wrote the, the words, vanity of vanities, over his stubborn rebellion. The prophet had been chasing the wind. And as long as he continued on that course, he was forsaking his own mercy. What I mean by that is this, that as long as he was a candidate for God's judgment, what he needed more than anything else was God's mercy. And so do we when we find ourselves in that place of, of, of being ripe for God's judgment. We need his mercy. And Jonah now could see where his sinful pride and his self-will had brought him. And he repented and he acknowledged his sin. He acknowledged God's justice that had given him just what he had wanted others to receive. And he acknowledged that he had no hope other than the salvation over which the Lord had an absolute control. And certainly Jonah could not save himself. He could not battle the turbulence of the storm that he himself caused and that he himself now found himself alone in that storm until he was picked up by the whale. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. That is eventually what Jonah had to come to in his life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Poor in what way? Being completely destitute of self, in self, of saving self. We cannot save ourselves. But when we acknowledge those things, when we acknowledge our sin, when we acknowledge our trouble, when we acknowledge what we've done, confessing our hearts to God, revealing our broken spirit. Tremble at the word of God. Tremble at the, you know, having that fear of God, the true fear of God. Respect and reverence toward the God that created us. God will hear And he will turn to us in that time of need. Lastly, in John, uh, I'm sorry, Jonah 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord spake unto the fish. I love that phrase. He spoke to the fish. And the fish understood. Because they know their creator better than some humans do. The Lord spake unto the fish. And it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. I like that phrase too. Because that's what we come out of, isn't it? Spiritually speaking. Because I don't want to speak any other way about it. Spiritually speaking, that's what we come out of. The vomit of this life, the vomit of this world, the vomit of our of our flesh, the vomit of what we, you know, what we used to what we used to think was cool and really neat stuff. You see, the Lord gave Jonah a new life, a new, a new beginning, a second chance, if you will. I've oftentimes heard that God is the God of second chances. Sometimes I'm really thankful that he's the God of third chances and fourth chances, too. But just as the Lord led the fish to swim by the boat to swallow Jonah, So the Lord led the fish to spew Jonah out somewhere close to shore. The dirty, smelly, haggard prophet undoubtedly stood on the beach with the stench of his own body nearly taking his breath away. And then as we saw last time, you know, the the experience of one person being completely white, and I mean, we're talking about really bleached and, and stayed that way permanently for the rest of his life. That may have been Jonah's experience as well. But nevertheless, the prophet had finally been humbled to the point of repentance. Now he was to go forth and and relaunch his ministry. He was to obey the Lord and to go to Nineveh to proclaim the word of God to the doomed people. Now the point to stress is the fact that Jonah's three days and three nights in the fish's stomach pointed to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, of course, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, which we'll kind of go over uh, just about every week as we're in the book of Jonah. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Jonas. 
For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We talk about the exact prophecy last week. The exactness of the prophecy. But it was through Jonah's three-day experience that he was given a new life and a new beginning. And so it is with us. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we too can receive a new life, and we have, if we are believers, a new beginning, a brand new start, a second chance. But even as believers who may at times stumble and fall, as Jonah did, the opportunity for that recovery continues. Praise the Lord. It doesn't end. God doesn't sit there and say, you should have known better. Sorry. You lose it. Boy, if that was the case, there wouldn't be too many people in heaven. Thank the Lord for his mercies. His mercies that endure forever. So now we come to Psalm 34, and I wanted to close with this, and we're going to have time to do it. Psalm 34. Go back to Psalm 34. We'll probably read the same verse that we did earlier, but I, I want you to see this whole picture here. The psalmist in Psalm 34, this is David, says in verse 11, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile or deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Jonah was thankful for that. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And that in a, a, a continuously, habitually you know, do evil. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth. Jonah said, I cried, and the Lord heard my prayer. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And we'll close with verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That, that should make you feel okay. That should make you feel good. That you're not alone if you're going through affliction. You're not alone that you're going through troubles and trials. Because sometimes, you know, when we do, we always, we always think, oh my, why is Lord, the Lord's getting all over me and nobody else. Are you kidding? We all suffer trials. We all go through tribulations. We all go through struggles. I'm going through a struggle right now. It's, not, it's a physical struggle. I mean, I... I've had something in my eye all day long. I put drops in my eye. I've done everything I can to get this junk out of my eye. I don't know what it is. It's, it, looks like, it feels like a brick. 
But the Lord has given me the opportunity to be able to see here tonight. And I know that as soon as I say amen, I'm going to be going, you know, trying to take that thing out. That's not a big struggle. It's not a big trial. But you see, we all go through something. Maybe you have an ingrown toenail. I don't know. But it's not about those little things, you know. It's about the very fact that we're going to go through something. And they are afflicting us. Sometimes they're to the very depth of our hearts. Things that pain us. Things that will traumatize us. We'll lose loved ones. We'll fall off of our walk. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. 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 Maybe not now, but one day we'll all be delivered from every affliction either we've ever had or are having or we will have. God, our salvation, our Lord, our Savior will deliver us out of them all. For the Lord will come and take us home, snatch us away. And that very soon.